Welcome, everybody, to episode 36 of the Handsome Hockey Podcast. We are recording via Squadcast today because we both decided to take vacations back-to-back, and Evan is in the great state of Illinois. Um, Hi. Yeah, here from <laughs> Illinois, here from my, uh, my childhood bedroom. Which is, we've decided, a rustic cabin vibe. Yeah, it also doubles as a humidor, <laughs> a, a, a human humidor. Are you drying and crisping to a fine Cuban? Yeah, that, that's all I know how to do. Uh, yeah, uh, well. Drying crispy. That's, that's <laughs> how I do it. There's a Ben Shapiro joke in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had some hockey to watch lately. Yeah, it turns out uh, the playoffs are good. Yeah, this has been a lovely second and third round transition we've had. Uh, Vegas rope-a-doped for two games and then knocked out Colorado and find themselves in a far more competitive series with the Canadiens of Montreal than we would have ever guessed. It looks like they are in the process of being, quote-unquote, goalied by Carey Price. Like He's playing lights out, and Vegas is stymied by the Habs kind of stack-the-box mentality. Yeah, they also got Jeff Petrie back, uh, mm-hmm. which helps immensely both offensively and defensively. He's really their only good offensive defenseman, but he's also a very good defenseman. We're talking about Carey Price being like this resurgent, oh my God, look at him go sort of figure, and he has been, but he hasn't been playing that much better than Marc-Andre Fleury. Mm-hmm. It's just that Marc-Andre Fleury has, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury moments and then you go oh (laughs) yeah like there was the one where he like tried to catch it across his body instead of just blockering something down uh and it went in a bad bad one and it's like you're one of the best goalies of all time I know you know better (laughs) like what are you doing like they teach you that sometimes he gets kind of over competitive and and sometimes tries to do too much and gets a little, little bit in his head. I mean, that was always one of the features of his game in Pittsburgh. It was like he will play out of his mind for you know ninety eight percent of the time and then and do something incredibly stupid like try and go back to play the puck and accidentally kind of misplay it and oh bounces right to Montreal who just taps it in for a goal that changes the whole game. Like it's also the timing of his gaffes that kill that team pete DeBoer came out and said oh yeah mark andre fleury's gaff clearly had us still foiled for the overtime session and it's like damn like why are you throwing your goalie under the bus like this like you're gonna yeah. need him he's also not wrong i mean and i don't know i don't have a problem with him saying yeah he screwed up we didn't play good after that let's move on Um, But back to your point about Jeff Petrie, not only did we get Jeff Petrie back, the Montreal Canadiens got Jeff Petrie back in supervillain mode with blood red eyes, uh, which if you have not seen the video of him looking like laser beam eye memes, um, he has some sort of 
conjunctivitis, it seems like, uh, from one would guess from some uh, pain treatments related to his hand, I would guess. I mean, that, that, apparently that can happen pretty easily with some uh, legal medications for pain. And apparently his kids were like so freaked out by it that they decided that he was a supervillain and that they were superheroes. And then well, between him and Corey, bloody Corey Perry face after uh, the last game, like all of the writers in hockey Twitter are joking about, you know, the Montreal Canadiens being into blood magic. And that's why they're winning. There's a cauldron in the locker room that <laughs> yeah. uh, they, it, and it bubbles with like a brackish reddish liquid and, like reporters aren't entirely sure what it is, but they're afraid to ask because then they might find out and be added to the soup. Like you never know. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> that's one of the things that's been good for hockey reporters on zoom is they don't have a chance of getting added to the Montreal witchcraft. Soup. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they don't have like, don't get murdered by blood magic. Like Robert Baratheon. <laughs> There's no, there is no uh, sacrifice, human sacrifices going on. It's like the poor towel boy. Like just, they're like, we need more magic for the soup. Come <laughs> here, towel boy. And then I think if like there's the- one kind of thing that gives me a feeling of, you know, team of destiny vibes for the Montreal Canadiens, it's that all the bleeding is being done by the team wearing bright ass red. Like, <laughs> It, it just mixes it in. fits visually, you know, when your eyes, your blood red eyes match your jersey, there's your sign. Well, it's like what it what is probably going on is there's some weird French Canadian connection to the occult. And that's why they won all of those cups, you know, <laughs> in their history. And then they upset the balance at some point, probably by mm-hmm. trading Patrick Waugh. And, <laughs> and so when their main henchman was dispatched from Montreal, they mm-hmm. lost all of their juju. And now like Carrie Price is like, who's been a good guy all his life, <laughs> finally realized what it would take to win and just started sacrificing uh, superfluous employees of the Montreal Canadians. <laughs> yeah. Carrie Price found Patrick Waugh's old Ouija board in storage down in the, <laughs> the bowels of the stadium. And was like, oh, it had like a, a Jumanji effect on the team. Yeah. You, also, there, one of the funny, funnier takes I saw was Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield played a prank on Jeff Petrie and farted on his pillow. And now he has pink eye. <laughs> that doesn't uh, match with our blood for the blood god theme. But uh, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay with the stink pillow for sure. <laughs> um, as for the actual hockey Vegas came out strong in game one mm-hmm. and then it's just been kind of like the games have been fun to watch, but like also kind of boring. Cause there's just not a lot. There's not a lot of like extracurriculars. There's not a lot of scoring. It's just been kind of like, we're going to play hockey and yeah, maybe it somebody will been, score. It hasn't been particularly ugly. It's been physical. You know, there have been, I would say an average amount of scrums for a, third round playoff series like to this point you know you're, you're gonna have teams that are physical so 
uh, like Corey Perry stick to the face. That, that was just a high stick. That was just business. You know, it's not like we haven't seen a lot of ugliness that we've seen maybe in some of the other series, which has been nice. But the issue is that when Montreal gets a lead, then they just clamp it down. And Vegas is not seeing the high danger chances it's used to. Like they're killing them in shots, but Vegas's shots are coming from the side. They're coming from out on the point. Like they are not They're. I, I was looking at the stats and both teams are even or round even at high danger chances, which is not exactly at all where you would expect. Yeah. Especially with Vegas, usually creating so many of those with their aggressive wing play. Um, you would expect to see more of that from a lineup of Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Riley Smith, Jonathan Marsha show, as opposed to rookie Cole Caulfield and almost rookie Nick Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause the first line for Montreal might as well not be there that Deno <laughs> Gall- offensively. Anyways, Deno is a very good defensive center, got some selfie yeah. votes, but I mean, Gallagher hasn't done anything so far in this series besides be his normal kind of pesky self um, mm-hmm. he, minus the, the offense. Josh Anderson scored two goals, including the big Marc-Andre Fleury gaff goal in game three but hadn't scored since I think the first game of the Toronto series prior to that. So it's not like their stars are just like, well, first off, they don't have stars, quote unquote, like who's, who's their most star caliber forward, like Tyler Toffoli. I don't know. Who's I mean, very... it probably is Brendan Gallagher. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're performing defensively. Uh, they're just not getting out of the zone cleanly and getting a chance to perform offensively i mean partially because those vegas forwards are that they're up against are very very good so yeah as you're saying it it's turning out to be the scoring depth that montreal has that we thought back in episode 14 was gonna be a really good uh you know playoff team and well look their young kids down the lineup can score like who'd have thunk <laughs> yeah Ever since the end of game one, Montreal has looked the better team. I don't think they've dominated games. In fact, as you said earlier, they got wildly outshot in game three. I think it was like, at one point it was like 31 to eight. <laughs> and like, Yeah, it's like a, a over two to one ratio. Yeah, so they're not dominating games, but they're playing a, they're kind of like Iceman in Top Gun. Like if you make us if you make a mistake, they'll kill you, sort of thing. You're dead. <laughs> and like every time Vegas makes that that seemingly uh, innocuous mistake, Montreal's there to pounce on it, and so that's what we've seen so far in the games two and three. And yeah, like it, the the game winning goal where Josh Anderson makes an amazing play at it at going into the zone to like deflect a puck down to his feet out of midair and catches their very good defenseman on Vegas, just flat footed. And then they score like there was not a lot of room there, not a big window at all. And they exploited it to win that overtime game. Like, yeah, Montreal is, you know, everyone slept on them, but I don't know. It's hard not to pick against them against 
Vegas, but they are showing that they're worthy of being a Final Four team. And good good to, for them, good for uh, Mark Bergerman, who is probably the happiest man on the face of the planet right now. It'll be really interesting to see what happens tonight. We're looking at Robin Lehner, who's supposedly going to start tonight. Apparently, the, the one gaffe from Marc-Andre Fleur was enough to send him back to the bench. That's a decision that's probably easier to make when you have Robin Lehner as your backup, but mm-hmm. he also got shelled in game one of the Colorado series. So we'll see. Uh, yeah. Having Robin Lehner, like they kind of have to start him some, I think that's part of it. And well, if Fleury makes a mistake, that's probably the best time to do it. We'll see how that has an effect on their team, but Mm-hmm. You know, all the reports show that or and everything we've heard says that everybody really likes Robin Lehner and he's definitely a guy that can be like the rally around sort of type. So not that people don't like Marc-Andre Fleury. It seems like they've got like two really solid dudes as their goaltender tandem. So, uh, you know, bringing in Lehner cold might it's a big risk, but maybe it pays off. It's not like he's a bad goalie. He's an excellent goalie. It helps to have those kind of options when your presumed starter or your one a starter, you know, has a bit of a brain fart and it ends up costing you a game. It also has to do with the fact that your one a starter needs some breaks and, and probably to be himself and to play his best. And so, you know, you gotta, gotta put your one B out there sometimes. Laner has not had the same success in the playoffs as the one B starter as Ilya Sorokin has uh, starting for the Islanders against Tampa Bay in that kind of limited spot starts he had. Sorokin's looked pretty good, but Varlamov has looked absolutely astounding. I guess that's an interesting parallel to make between the Vegas Islanders, yeah, the Vegas Islanders, between Vegas and the Islanders is they both have like a 1B, 1A goalie situation. And they've both been using it pretty effectively so far in the playoffs. When Varlamov gets steamrolled by Braden Point, pushed by the Islanders defenseman, you know, they could bring in Sorokin, who is their goalie of the future, similar to Laner. You know, it, he didn't play super well because it's Tampa, but I see a lot of parallels between those two teams and how they've been using their goalies and how they've been burned at sometimes by the two goalie system, but then also gotten some amazing play from their 1A. Well, and that's a good segue into the other series, this Tampa mm-hmm. Islanders series, where we're deadlocked at two after four. It's like surprising, but not surprising. Like I'm surprised. I'm like having like a, wow, look at us. We're here moment. Like <laughs> I was kind of expecting Tampa to be 3-1 before you knew what happened, but good, like great. Good for the Islanders. It's been a hell of a series to watch. And Matt Barzal is continuing his sort of possible star turn. And mm-hmm. I've been loving it. Neither of us got to watch a whole lot of game four, but you know, the, I watched all of games one through three and you really saw, I think, so game one happens and you're like, okay, the Islanders win. But if you're, they if, win, if you're an Islanders fan, doing it? yeah, like if you're an Islanders fan, like you're happy your team won, but you're like, oh, we're going to have to be better if we want to win this series. And then game two happens and you're like, oh, there's Tampa. <laughs> oh, hi. Bummer. Hybrid in point scoring all the time. And then game three happens and it's a close game, but I felt like, you know, in watching it, I felt Tampa Bay was the, by far the better team in that game. Mm-hmm. 
and like Vasilevsky showed up and you're like, Oh, we don't want that to happen. We don't, we don't want Andre Vasilevsky to show up and just be like, I am the best goalie in the world. Like you never want that to happen. And then game four happens and I'm busy watching property brothers with the misses. <laughs> and, and, uh, I, I look at my phone and it's three, nothing. Cause I had said, Hey, you know, like if it's, if it's close, I want to jump over to it. And she's like, yeah, 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 that's fine. It's three, nothing. And so I stopped really paying attention at the end of two to my phone to like check the score. We watch another episode and I check the phone and it's three to two final. And I was like, Oh crap. I hope I didn't miss anything that important. And yeah, you did with Ryan Pollock <laughs> making the most incredible defenseman saving play that in which he got himself a block. Yeah. Well, it's it's one thing to do that in the regular season and everybody's like, "Oh, look at this great play." It's another thing to do it in this game 4 of the semifinals of the Stanley Cup playoffs and I think it was Sean McIndoe on Twitter saying, you know, it's not very often that the end of a close game happens and everybody's hugging a defenseman instead of the goalie. <laughs> Varlamov r- skates over as fast as he can to, like, mug Ryan Pollock. It was, first off, Ryan McDonough makes this ridiculous spin move, and you're like, aren't you, like, kind of a geriatric defense defensive <laughs> defenseman? Who are you doing this? And he, he like yeah. makes this perfect pivot spin move to get himself free in the slot. Varlamov is thirty feet out of his net or something. I don't know. Like <laughs> either way, crazy. He's like, "What are you doing all the way out there, buddy?" Yeah. Either yeah, way, he's not even remotely close to where he should be. And then Pollock's just like, "Gotcha. Don't worry." <laughs> and he's just, actually like, behind. I mean, he was behind the goalie in the goal. Like, yeah. Um. Which I would encourage hard. anyone to to look at that clip that you sent me over earlier, just the last minute of Bolts Isles game four. It was absolute bedlam. Like Yeah, ninety-nine uh, times out of a hundred, that's a goal. And you're like, ooh, overtime, yay. This one time, it just happens to be in like one of the most pivotal games of the season. Cause if Tampa goes up three one, that series is over. Like, it's done. Tampa's not giving up that 3-1 lead. But at 2-2, anything can happen. And if Vegas can get it done tonight, we're looking at two three-game series, effectively. Which would be awesome, and I hope it happens. To say that you have four teams that are equally six games away, six wins away from a Stanley Cup, I don't know. I can't remember that happening. Yeah, usually... Yeah, usually one is super lopsided and you're like, oh, well, that was fast. And then the other goes <laughs> get seven games. Now, as we sit, like we're guaranteed at least one game six and maybe two. And, you know, who wants to see game seven in Vegas? This guy. <laughs> this guy <laughs> Me, wants. me yeah, too. I, I, <laughs> I always forget sometimes that people can't see us. And so I'm like raising my hand like a doofus. <laughs> but actually, I, I think I'm recording video this time. Oh, uh, Lord. Just for just for funsies, just to see if it's not horrid. But it uh, will be. yeah. It... <laughs> Do you have any predictions the rest of the way outside of we just want to see the most hockey, the most bedlam and the most game sevens? Yeah, I'm struggling to to come up with concrete predictions anyways i kind of think that tampa is gonna find another gear 
I don't know, they've, they've been kind of struggling to do it. it. You you kind of get the sense that they have one. They have another speed that they can operate at. And the Islanders are doing a really good job clamping them down. But I don't know. They've been kind of close to another gear a couple times. And, and I think they're going to make take a step and, and end up winning the series either in six or seven. I'm going to say Tampa in seven, Montreal in six. Vegas is definitely a better team than yeah. Montreal. Like absolutely but, a better team. But Montreal is I mean they're just they're playing everybody so well. They lost their coach and still won two games, right? Like <laughs> uh, which is maybe not a ringing endorsement for Don, Dominic Ducharme, but you know like No. Lost their coach to a, a COVID positive test. Yes. So he's he's sitting at home. But also, you know, kudos to his assistants and I'm sure he's I'm sure he's not not working. I'm sure he's right dictating and and you know strategizing and sometimes I always wonder like when you kick a coach into sort of a consulting role like that does that sometimes give you some weird advantages in that like they're having to reconsider how they do things and so maybe they make some strategic and tactical adjustments as well or whatnot. I don't know. I've always been interested in that similar to like when you take an offensive coordinator off the sidelines in a football game and put them up in the press box or things like that. You know, how does a substantive change of how coaching happens affect the product on the playing surface? As for Tampa and New York, I, I think so last year that series went to seven or went to six. I think New York mm-hmm. is better this year, but I still think, I think, this is like the last ride of this Tampa dynasty before they have to like do some real restructuring next year okay. or this off season to get cap compliant. Cause you know, they're only 17 million over the cap. So, you know, <laughs> they've got some things to do. I think the Islanders much like Carolina are like one year away from, I wouldn't be surprised to see Carolina and the Islanders in the finals, the Con- Eastern conference finals next year, you know, like, Mm-hmm. I just think Tampa has so much and they're also, they have a Sith Lord and Julian Brisewell as their GM. So <laughs> there's some dark magic there too. Maybe that's why, why we might get this Montreal Tampa series. Like it's like the blood God versus the Sith Lord in the finals. Um, the and- Senate will decide if you are over the cap. Uh, 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 I am the Senate. I am the cap. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it's going to be real interesting going forward. Uh, I'm thrilled to watch it. I'm going to watch Vegas and Montreal game four here in a couple hours, but we'll push pause on this conversation and we'll see where we're at on Sunday. But uh, when we record again, but yeah, this has been, it, it's been great. It's been really awesome to watch so far. So much uh, interesting, fun hockey and, Hopefully we, I'd love to get two game sevens out of this, but we'll see. And I'm going to kind of skip ahead, but go laterally to um, specifically on the Andre Palat hit actually <laughs> at the end of the last series. I find it absolutely insane that we didn't see any sort of supplemental discipline for what was a, he- a, a true and dirty headshot. He made contact with Brett Pesci shoulder to head, and it was the principal point of contact. If you read the rule, in the NHL rulebook against headshots, it's basically a descriptor of the Andre Palat hit. Yet, and and we saw you know big suspensions handed down to Nazem Kadri and uh, who was the other player that got a suspension for a head hit? Mark Scheifele. Uh, Mark Scheifele. Thank you. 
and yet nothing. He gets he doesn't even get the the five the the pitiful five grand fine for that. He was assessed a penalty on the ice, which was appropriate. But it's insane to me that he did not face supplemental discipline for what was obviously a dirty hit to the head. Well, we saw Ryan McDonough not get a, a, assessed a game misconduct or a, or a game suspension for boarding in the Florida series as well. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if the Department of Player Safety doesn't really know what they're doing or yeah. has a really poor handle on their own rule book that they're trying to enforce, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. I I wonder if it's just like a bunch of corporate middle managers, like pushing the issue to someone else. Like, I don't know. Ask George. I don't know. Ask the vending machine. I don't know. Ask the, you know, spin the wheel of player safety. And, uh, Andre Palat, you know, it's like, no games, no games. And a free violent gents t-shirt. The whole George Perros Department of Player Safety joke, when taken in the same stride as the awful officiating we've been seeing in the playoffs, it's just like, what what are you guys doing out there sometimes? Like, I don't know. I'm sitting at home thinking about going back to refing hockey and looking at playoff hockey, just like raising my hand like an official. I'm like, that's a fucking penalty. The the non-call on when Cole Caulfield got behind Vegas and then got slashed by everyone that he had just beaten. Um, and then he goes down and it's like, come on guys, that's a penalty. That's a penalty. That's a penalty and nothing. So I don't know. I don't know what the NHL is going to have to do to make officiating, make any more goddamn sense in the playoffs, but they've got to do something. Should we go, go to the Mark Shifley? Not sorry. Let's talk about this for a minute because yeah. It's a it's a quick hitter. <laughs> so was his. <laughs> what a complete lack of self awareness yeah, this is. It's hilarious on Mark Shifley's part. Like, oh well, the Department of Player Safety treated me poorly. Maybe don't try and kill a man. Like, yeah, like that's that's probably the most violent hit we've seen in the playoffs, and like far more violent than the Nazem Kadri hit in my book, and. And and he he's like like stupid. Well, all the talk was about Philip Deneau taking me out of the series, but I guess it was the Department of Players that shot up Mark Shifley. You turn, <laughs> yeah, that exactly. Like t- you know, there have been plenty of players that have made violent hits and said ah, that was a bad hit. You know, I shouldn't I shouldn't hit that way. I hurt my team by getting myself suspended, and I'll wear my suspension and then try and not do that again and shifley goes on a pitches up fit about how he doesn't hit very much and he's never been hit charged with charging before like that makes a difference it's you know there's a first time for everything including your first you know baby's first charging penalty it was clearly a charge he skated the length of the ice to deliver a violent hit and a hit that was effectively late and he does not attempt to play the puck so it's like yeah he laid out jake evans and got him you know, stretch it off the ice and, and absolutely deserved a four game suspension that he's going to carry into next season. Yeah. He gets one game off at the beginning of next season, which really like after he went all pissy pants mode just makes me happy. <laughs> like, yeah. Same. I love it. Like, going to carry over. We get to, we get to revisit this dumbass hit next season. <laughs> the first really he's a very good player. He's right. just dumb. Not dumb as in, like, he's statistically stupid. Like, just, like, he said something really dumb. 
And the fact that there hasn't been a like, wow, I realize how stupid that was. I should probably not be so stupid kind of like comment from him since he's just playing golf somewhere in Alberta, hanging out. And he's probably on the golf course. He's drinking a Michelob Ultra and he's like, <laughs> yeah, guys, do you see that unfair suspension? Gosh, <sighs> look at me. I got canceled. And like, yeah. And like everybody's playing with is like, Mark, shut the hell up. Like <laughs> one, it wasn't funny the first time. I'm not trying to be funny. Oh, Oh, that's even worse then. <laughs> so, the, yeah, Mark Shifley had a lot of dumb things to say about his hit and showed no remorse, but he did have some good points and said some things that I did agree with respectfully to uh, the backlash that he and his family have received over the hit, which is like he's been kind of harassed and, you know, had a bunch of mean phone calls and messages and stuff and there's no place for that, even around a violent hit. Like, he got suspended, he got punished, he's going to have to deal with that, and let's let it be that. And I don't think there's a place for fans, or us as fans, to harass NHL players for something like that. And maybe this is the lesson of the week, the, like, more you know moment, da-da-da-da, more you know moment. <laughs> like, don't contact athletes on Twitter, on Instagram, they are not there for your approaching like that you're that's not part of this deal right like do we have greater access to athletes and celebrities and their life than we've ever had before yes but guess what there are still lines and like sending death threats or harassing comments to an athlete or super racist epithets towards an athlete because they right. didn't perform up to your standards is not acceptable I don't know how many times we have to say this. These are games you personally are not playing in. They have literally no impact on your life. If your ability to be happy and to exist is intrinsically tied to how well your sports team performs, this is going to sound rough, but get a life. Like you really (laughs) need to find meaning elsewhere in your life. And I like, I understand this because I remember being in college or even after college and like watching Michigan football games and it ruining my fucking weekend. If Michigan football lost, you just can't do that anymore. Like there, there are things in this world, like especially when the NHL playoffs are on, because it's probably nice and sunny out. Like these things start in May, go outside, be with your kids, be with your spouse or significant other read a book that isn't about Mark Shifley. Like just enjoy the world around you and realize that sports ultimately aren't that important. Are they fun? Are they a nice release from the the world? Absolutely. Are you allowed to enjoy them? Yes, absolutely. That's what they're here for. They're not here to define you as a person. I have like this personal like hatred of anybody who defines themselves as a like blank guy. So like, a gun guy or a car guy or uh, uh, you know, whatever, a sports guy. I'm a, Oh, let me tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a Habs fan. Like, Nope, Nope. Let's start this over. Tell me about you. What do you I'm mean? Do you mean fan. my fandom is not good enough for you? I mean, we had that Twitter interaction with the Italian dude who like said that Gennaro Gattuso isn't a racist, sexist homophobe. And it was like, well, here's the evidence. And he's like, well, you're Americans and you're all Nazis. I was like, no, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. That was super like, funny. I mean, yeah. it was just a hilarious, hilarious bit of Euro trash interaction. <laughs> yeah, and, but, uh, but yeah, I love how um, Touch Grass has become the like read a fucking book of this year. Like, go touch grass. Go, of our go generation. It's supposed to be like 90 degrees today, but after this, I'm going to go walk around for a bit and then watch some hockey and not get invested in it all that much outside of the fact that we have a podcast. I'm like glad that my teams growing up did enough losing to make me a decent person. Like, <laughs> if I, as a University of Illinois alum, got sad every time you know if if them losing games ruined my weekend i just wouldn't have had weekends <laughs> you know lovey smith has has killed the last six years of your existence or whatever you know at uh, least it, he did it with a sweet beard yeah that's that's kind of like you, you go on twitter after any sort of calamity in sports and there's a thousand or a million people having bad takes about things and it's like Slow down. First off, the internet is forever, so remember <laughs> yeah. that. And secondly, like, chill out, relax. Speaking of speaking of thousands of imbecile men tripping over themselves to make bad takes on Twitter, uh, Dave Portnoy got suspended from Twitter this week, and it was glorious. And then every chungus this nation has to offer went on Twitter to free Portnoy hashtag and save Barstool, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, oh, this is funny. <laughs> like, I don't know. It, I enjoyed it. The Barstool uh, kind of landscape <laughs> is like every person that I was just, I just spent the last like five minutes ranting about is probably a Barstool person. Yeah. Venn like, diagram of circle. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's I legitimately saw somebody like walking down the street the other day wearing when I was home wearing a barstool shirt. And I wanted to like stop them and be like, do you know what that's about, man? Because like you should rethink this. Yeah. I mean, to a lot of people, the things that we know about barstool are like outside of their mind. And a lot of people enjoy some of the barstool content out there unironically without, you know, without bigotry or, or malice. Like I get that, but yeah, the, Portnoy is a dickhead and the company he has formed doubles down on the dickheadedness. I find it hilarious too, that what he got suspended from Twitter for was like, so melodramatic or like a, a letdown compared to what he usually has to say. Like, I think he just said, I'm going to put my nuts on your face or something. How many times have we heard dudes talk like that? But now you put it on Twitter and you get suspended. And it, I, I feel like it was some sort of like lifetime achievement award his suspension from Twitter or his temporary suspension from Twitter. It was like, you've said a bunch of other shitty things. Let's just, uh, let's make an example out of you for once. Yeah. The what's the other big podcast that they have. That's uh caller daddy. Uh, there's like, like what's the guy's name? KFC is on oh, it. Um, I forget. Yeah. There's chicklets. And then there's that one. Yeah. Well, whatever it was, they had a segment recently where, they talk about going back in time and they're like, I wouldn't go back in time and kill Hitler. I would go back in time and stop slavery because you got to be in with all the black folks yeah, with, with the blacks quote unquote. And then they like talk about this woman who works at Barstool and talk about how she would fuck all of them. If they went back and were like the guy who stopped slavery, 
what are you thinking? Yeah. Why let's are say, you condoning yeah, this? It's it absolutely insane. Like, let's up. say, uh, let's try and show we're not racist by saying something incredibly casually racist, like and sexist. Yeah. <laughs> like, Let's just combine. Can you slip homophobia in there or transphobia in there? That would be great. The people that hate on Barstool are not hating on it because you hired women. They're not hating on it because it's a big, successful company. They're hating on it because it's had a crappy history of saying shitty things that are kind of anathema to being an actual feminist. I, I, don't, I don't know that I have much more to say about this. It's just like... Like us regurgitating, yeah, right. The but it's important to point out that you know Dave Portnoy is still a giant piece of shit. So yeah, and and if your hockey team caters to him, you will lose. I, I think um, that's a, that's one thing that we learned this year. If you're if you're catering to Dave Portnoy and Creed, you will lose hockey games. The hockey gods are just as you should by that as behavior. you as you should. <laughs> especially barstool but also creed like i mean mm-hmm. come on <sighs> so for some bad good news steven johns has announced his retirement from hockey he has had to deal with unfortunately some really bad injury luck uh some nagging concussions he's told he started to tell his story dealing with very severe post-concussion symptoms that he has missed a lot of time from and struggled to get back to playing shape and get back into the NHL. And then I think this season realized, you know, this wasn't going to be sustainable and he uh, stepped away from the game. But what he's doing is really cool. Is he's going to rollerblade across America and he's on the road right now. I think he's working his way east to west and stopping in uh, Notre Dame in Chicago where he, w- he played for the Blackhawks and played for Notre Dame. And he's going to uh, film a video with I forget, uh, the videographer is coming from somewhere else and, and has some in- interesting work. I just can't remember the name. But uh, I don't know. I, I like Stephen Johns. He seems like an interesting guy. And I look forward to learning a little bit more about his story. Yeah, and that's something that we don't really talk a lot about in this country. It's It's become more or less taboo, I guess, in the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. The life after uh, being a famous or being a professional athlete for right. a lot of professional athletes is not at all glamorous and is actually mm-hmm. quite painful and uh, harmful. We've seen an influx of professional athletes end up killing themselves over the last couple of years. We were still in the middle of dealing with CTE, especially in the NFL. But I think there's going to be kind of a moment where the that comes about in the NHL as well. You know, as a Red Wings fan, we've had Johan Franzen, who mm-hmm. has spoken very intermittently about his struggles, but they're really catastrophic to both the person and, or both the player and their families. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for Steven Johns to retire and then immediately go into this, like, this is my life now. This is why I'm retiring and this is how I want to shine a light on these situations and on the physical toll, really, of being a professional athlete. That's really mm-hmm. awesome to see. I think that the way he's opening up is very candid, and I find it, the way he talks easy to relate to. He's you know, seen some shit and some really dark days, and to know that even professional athletes 
struggle with that and struggle with like identity issues. You know, when your identity is tied up to something that has a maximum shelf life of like 35 years, you know, you're, you're, you're out of the system at 35, even if you have an amazing career, unless you're Yaromir Yager, who plays till you're 80, to have to redefine your identity partway through your life is not easy. And so, you know, I, I like where he's coming from and, and what he's had to say so far. And that's a, a story that I'll be watching. And, you know, if he comes through Portland for something, like, I would totally put my skates on and, and try and go skate with him. It's been kind of interesting to see, like, he's skating on some old, not old school, but like racing blades, because he's doing the massive distance. So he has like three huge wheels that I think are like rubber-ish. Mm-hmm. And then the guys he's skating with are all in like hockey skates. And it's kind of funny to see. I don't know. It's always super funny to me to see really high level hockey players on rollerblades. In like 30 years when we're sufficiently old and hopefully have retiree pensions and are like, you know, independently wealthy as I shake my head now, it, it'll be great <laughs> to fly to like Azerbaijan and watch, watch Yaramir Yager in like the third level of professional hockey in Azerbaijan, like, cause he'll be 74 and still <laughs> killing it. He'll be like eighth in points in the league. <laughs> and he'll also like own the team. Oh yeah. He'll, he'll own the team and like supply them with all the Yager butter they can have handle. <laughs> Yager. Butter. I wonder if they still make Yager butter. I really hope they do. I think that's what the, uh, pitchers are using to doctor their pitches (laughs) in the news for all the wrong reasons stemming from their now uh, infamously sexually harassing video level coach brad aldrich who has been the source of two lawsuits against the team and now we're going through getting more information through these lawsuits and the big news that turns out is more people knew than we would have guessed that uh that this guy was abusing players and the Blackhawks had a meeting in which team president McDonough and Stan Bowman were in the room and they decided not to do anything. And that's bullshit. And that makes me very disappointed in the team that I root for. And it, it, you know, kind of discounts a lot of the winning that they've done over the years. It's one thing if this is a relatively, I mean, I hate to say isolated incident, but it's, it's one thing if they did not have a meeting and coordinate not saying anything and not going to the police. Like, you know, that's wrong. That's that's covering up crimes. And I hope that the team now faces consequences over this. We've come to, you know, ever since kind of the Jerry Sandusky thing hit in what was what, maybe 2005? I can't remember exactly what year that was. but Or no, it was later than that, maybe 2010. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So we've spent at least a decade realizing that quote unquote good people have spent the better part of the last like 60 years covering up for quote unquote bad people for apparently no good reason whatsoever. You know, you, you talked about this the last time we spoke, spoke about this incident about how in moments of success, there is a fear of rocking the boat too much and exposing a sexual predator in your midst kind of rocks the boat. It's like, well, we just won a championship, but this guy's been sexually molesting our players and young people on campus for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that tarnishes everything. And so there's, and I don't know if that's the main drive in these situations, but we're seeing more and more that, you know, this, that this is a 
a serious issue. Not that it never wasn't, but yeah, you know, hopefully these high profile incidents are working their way down to like a very like granular level and to like a very like young age level to where there's now a very rigid or there's going to become a much more rigid kind of oh, how do I don't know system of protection i guess yeah like uh, well just like a, a more thorough background check and a more thorough analysis of the people that we hire or that we choose to put in positions over power of power over very easily influenced and also very vulnerable people you know in this case with Chicago, it sounds like the coach said, like, you know, he would report things up to higher management and, you know, ruin the ice time of these uh, these players for the Blackhawks if right. they didn't, if they weren't complicit with his desires. And, you know, that that's one way that we've seen it. Other times it's, you know, just children. They don't know any better. So it's it's always an oppressor and a vulnerable you know, attacking a a vulnerable person in these situations. Yeah, in and, sports and in capitalism, you know, there are natural power dynamics that sexual predators use to their advantage, and unfortunately, our uh, systems and and capitalism's natural uh, kind of keep your head down, don't stick your neck out philosophy that kind of pervades it is the gray area that these people use to victimize others. And so, what's alleged in this suit? now is that there are uh, more players on the Blackhawks roster on the 2010 championship team that reported uh, sexual harassment by this video coach to play uh, to, to a team performance doctor, to other coaches and to the NHLPA. And the team authorities met about this and decided that they were going with the wrong road, which is the, the way of silence. And then they tried to get rid of this guy and gave him a, uh, a positive job recommendation, which he then used to put himself in another position to abuse people. And then he was caught. And, you know, it, that's how this works is if you pass the buck, you're only allowing other people to be abused. You know, that's part of why we have to see something and say something. Um, because if somebody steps up in 2010, you know, we probably respect the Blackhawks a whole lot more today. Uh, and we probably, you know, don't like, we think of this as an afterthought to their winning then, you know, we, we say, okay, you had this bad actor, you caught him and, and, you know, when your players, said that we're being abused and harassed, we stepped up and did the right thing. Like that would be a much different legacy than we tried to sweep it up under the rug and allowed other underage people to be abused. And it says so little about the men in this theoretical room having this meeting and deciding to allow a predator to continue, you know, unfettered where, a high school student in Michigan was the one who eventually stood up and said that they'd had enough, but a bunch of grown men in Chicago couldn't bring themselves to that, that standard. The other kind of new interesting development is the presence of some sort of a whistleblower uh, on this meeting. Um, And, you know, even if it's late, like 
somebody is stepping up and at least trying to do the right thing when faced with this pressure to do so. And like we've been saying, like, I hope at some point we get a full picture of what all the facts are and that the Blackhawks face some consequences because yeah, if they turn around and, and turn them over to the cops in 2010, we're probably not talking about them in the same breath as Penn State. Now, obviously, the Penn State abuse went on much longer, much deeper, but it's the same It's the same motivation. It's choosing winning over being a, a safe place to, to work. It's choosing winning over – it's choosing the outside perception of your organization's culture over actually making it a morally just workplace. We're probably not talking about it at all, actually. Like, we are like, oh, if we are, it's like, oh, remember that time that that dude got caught and mm -hmm. was prosecuted, like, early on? We're not, we're not having this conversation now. Like, right. the, the, the narrative is completely shelved because somebody did the right thing. And instead of, you know, we're going to see the 15th anniversary of that Stanley cup run here in a couple of years. And, you know, assuredly the Blackhawks are going to like trot out players and like have a celebration uh, or like 20 years or 25 years. And every like time that anniversary comes up, this is going to be brought up again. Mm -hmm. like to the end of time. It's like, yeah, that was a great team. Like they had a real push and like won a hard fought uh, Stanley cup, but also they were enabling a sexual predator at the time. And it's like, and chose to enable a sexual predator as opposed to blow that whistle and get things taken care of. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so like, that's part of the narrative now. And, you know, Stan Bowman and others will have to kind of face those consequences moving forward. And, you know, hopefully they do. Yeah. Uh, the adage is always right. The cover up is always worse than the crime. No matter who you are, no matter what, like it, it's always going to leave you, you know, these criminals pull in other people because they're being covered for. And yeah, I don't know what types of uh, sanctions or, kind of consequences that they would have to face beyond firing or, or whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, I imagine that they should, I think that they should clean house. I think that this isn't something that the Blackhawks leadership should survive. I guess to close this out on a positive note, happy father's day to yeah. all the fathers out there. We are recording on Sunday, June 20th, which we are recognizing as a country as father's day this year. Mm -hmm. The, Maple Leafs just wished the Habs a happy Father's Day on Twitter. <laughs> That's kind of a, a classy Canadian thing to do. I don't think we would ever see the Red Wings wish the Blackhawks a happy Father's Day after they got knocked out of the playoffs by them. So kudos to the Leafs organization for something class for putting something classy out. Um, I can't wait to see the deranged Toronto Twitter uh, takes on this. But yeah, happy Father's Day to all the dads. Out yeah, there. happy Father's Day. And we'd also be remiss if we didn't mention uh, this is the first Father's Day following the first official uh, celebration of Juneteenth in the United States of America. And while that is a tiny symbolic step towards, you know, uh, what we want, hope is a more racially equal future. It's something. And, you know, I definitely tried to do a little bit of anti-racist work yesterday just to honor the occasion. 
we always look for, and maybe this is an American thing. Maybe this is a people thing. We always look for that giant grand gesture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of small gestures equal a grand gesture. And, right. you know, if this is like one in a bunch of small gestures, like this, this is a great step. The fact that we finally have this recognized as a national federal holiday is outstanding. Do what you can to create a positive impact. Even if this is a reminder to white Americans that we have a fairly racist history in this country. Um, and I think fairly is probably not going far enough when describing yeah. our yeah, racist history. That's an understatement of, of the episode we, right there. We have a... I don't do understatements very often. So let me, <laughs> how about I, I say this again? Like, okay. We have a egregious racist history <laughs> in this, in this country. And coming to terms with that is painful. It's hard for, especially white Americans to deal with the fact that we as a country have spent centuries keeping the other at the bottom on purpose and creating systems that oppress and marginalize them and having one day in June every year that can remind people on uh, white people on some small way that there is that egregious history is a good step in the right direction because maybe as years progress, we can use this as an enlightening tool. Yeah, and yes, as uh, some conservative wingnut I saw on Twitter uh, lambasting this, it wasn't Candace Owens who also lambasted Juneteenth, which was funny. But, um, you know, we, we can't end a podcast without talking about Candace Owens. It's written in our contracts that <laughs> don't exist. But, uh, yeah, as this conservative wingnut was saying, what are we going to do now? Are we going to have a a Native American holiday? And I was like, actually, yes. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> let's start to recognize, you know, those histories more honestly. Like, you know, yeah, education is what this is about. You know, we have a Juneteenth holiday almost more to put it there to educate people on why this is important. And it's like that's equally as important as celebrating it is just educating on why. And, you know, there's this huge pushback right now by cons- the conservative culture war people on actually honestly addressing race in education. And um, this is a small victory in the face of that. In a positive note, uh, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin was booed at a Juneteenth rally on Saturday <laughs> because he was one of the people who spoke out about it. And there were a uh, chance of they booed him and they also chanted, we don't need you here, which uh, is, is beautiful. And I'm sure he'll spin it into a like cancel culture sort of war of attrition sort of thing. But anytime you get a chance to boo Ron Johnson is uh, uh, I think one that is worth celebrating. So, yeah, I think uh, also what he's the guy who voted against covid stimulus and then like champion bringing the money home like come on yeah. buddy your spare parts aren't you bud but i think we got some hockey to watch here pretty soon so we should probably call it an episode 
we should do that. As always, you can find us all over the internet. Uh, you can find us at www.handsomehockey.com, Handsome Hockey Podcast on Instagram, at Handsome Hockey on Twitter, where you can see us get badgered by Italians who think Gennaro Gattuso is not a racist. Uh, you also got handsomehockeypod at gmail.com if you want to email us. And we've got a Handsome Hockey Facebook page, which is for all of you, not just our friends who are kind enough to support it. Obviously, you're listening to us somewhere, but we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Red Circle, and the YouTube. And we hope to see you all soon. Yeah, and I hope to see Evan again soon because mm-hmm. it's been a while. So maybe next yep. weekend. Yeah, but, we should uh, hang out next weekend. To everyone out there, uh, it is hot as balls everywhere in the country right now. So stay cool, stay safe. If you don't have AC, hug a fan or a block of ice. But always stay handsome, everybody. Restez beau, tout le monde. Au revoir.